But anyways, it's going to be a great night. I hope Dan's watching this so he can learn. And that's everything we got to announce. So uh, let's welcome up Pastor Mike. We traveled down to uh, Atlanta to do an emotional healing conference at uh, Lilburn Alliance Church, where our daughter is the, the children's pastor. And I, I realized I, I'm not a Southerner anymore. <laughs> Somebody came up to me and said, y'all, and I said, I'm just me. There's not two of us here. It's just me. <laughs> Some of you got that, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks uh, this morning for this incredible time of worship. Just uh, from the beauty of the cross to the joy of blessing your name. And Lord, we, we stop and bring everything under your name. Wow. I sense that right now. Would you, uh, <clears throat> with your eyes closed... Uh, would you take your, your left hand, everything that's bothering you today, would you let your left hand represent that? Everything that's bothering you, and just put it out there. In your left hand, not your right hand, but put it out there. Then take your right hand. I just sense the Lord say, my name is your covering. So just open up your, your, your hand your right hand as a covering, like an umbrella over everything you're going through. Right now, in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is taking everything that you've put in that left hand. And He's saying, I've got it covered. I'll take care of you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll work out everything for good because you love me. And because you're called according to my purposes. And even though your left hand is little and your problems might be big, his name is bigger. What we're doing right now is we're demoting our problems and we're promoting his name. This is what we hallow here. We hallow the name of Jesus. There is no other name. No other name. This isn't just the theology we sing, it's the theology we live. That we know that our children, our families, our marriages, our singleness, everything can be under his name. And he knows how to work all things together. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He who spared not his own son, will he not freely give you all things in him? There's hope, no matter how hard it is, there's hope today. Lord, we just put everything under your name. At your name, every knee's going to bow. So we believe our problems are bowing now to the name of Jesus. We don't walk in our authority alone. We walk in a delegated authority. You said we have permission to use your name. So I speak the name of Jesus over every sickness in our midst, over every illness, every weakness of the body. I speak the name of Jesus over every financial problem that we face, over every emotional crisis that we face, every weakness. 
Speak the name of Jesus. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan, we command even now by that name that you must submit. You're a thief. We bind you as the thief. You're a destroyer. We bind you as the destroyer. You're a killer. We bind you as the killer. We declare freedom in Jesus, love in Jesus, peace and joy, righteousness. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read together Psalm 51. Would you read out loud with me? Uh, most of this psalm, we don't have all of it up there, but we have most of it. Let's read together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, you delight in truth in the inner being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Praise the Lord. I want to ask you a question as we think about this passage today. Um, how did your parents demand that you make things right when you had done wrong? When you had disobeyed or when you had been caught... You probably disobeyed a lot and didn't get caught. But when you disobeyed and you were caught, what was the punishment or the correction that they did? And in my case, uh, everything was always dramatic and angry and swift. My father had this thin leather belt, and he would pop it as he was coming in. The popping alone scared the daylights out of me, but I also knew what was coming. And he would just begin to wail and beat on me. And uh, many times I did the, uh, the rather stupid thing because I did not want him to break my will. And so I would say, I will not cry, which is dumb. If somebody's hitting you, cry and cry a lot. It's always smarter. Uh, my, mother was, uh, my mother was interesting because she was the police of words. And, uh, you know, when you're about fourth, fifth grade now, I guess probably kindergarten, but you start, uh, uh, you start using profanity so that you can, you can prove you're a big stuff. And so you start using these words and you start saying these words. And uh, 
My mother was so pure of words that even the word but, used incorrectly, would, uh, would, would get punishment. And her deal was to wash my mouth out with soap. I have a dial-tasting mouth, even as I tell you right now. That, so. But Lisa's parents, they, they, were, they were completely different from me, uh, from my family. Her family would just talk to you about what you'd done. And then they would send you to your room so you could think about it. And depending on how bad the offense was, was how long you had to go to your room. So they would go, and, and there was no closure or anything like that. I mean, the, the good thing when you get beaten is it does end at some point, and uh, it's over to some extent. And then my dad, was he, he would wail on us, and he'd go, this hurts more, me more than you, and, and start crying and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, I'm supposed to be comforting him right now? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. And, uh, but Lisa's family, they would, just, they would send them to the room, and, and they would have to think about it and feel deeply what they had done. Well, when we got married, when she disobeyed me, I was swift and dramatic and yelled a lot and all like this. And, and, and then I'd be over it and go, that hurt me more than it hurt you, dear. And she didn't believe me. <laughs> but she would go, I could see it in her eyes. She's like, you should go to your room right now and you should think about this. <laughs> Maybe in two weeks I'll talk to you again and, and all of the, this kind of stuff. And so we had trouble when we would break fellowship, when our intimacy with one another, our, our oneness with one another was severed, we would have trouble coming back together. Basically, what disobedience or sin or even mistakes, truthfully, do in a relationship is they sever oneness. And how you come back to oneness is everything. There are a lot of people who live their entire life with just this, this iceberg of guilt. But they don't know how to get the guilt up. They don't know how to get rid of the shame. They don't know. And, and the word that we use in the scripture is the word atonement or at one How do I atone? How do I restore intimacy? How do I restore oneness? Because guilt is real. Shame is real. And so what happens is we have a default setting in us that doesn't work right. And when we study Psalm 51, you actually start to realize that God desires even sinners, even mistake-plagued people to be happy, to have a joy. To experience restoration of oneness. Now, in a sense, you have to begin to understand why David explains it the way he does. Or you will continue to build up more and more guilt, more and more shame, more and more emotions that are unproductive to you. One of the issues that each of you has is that you do not have an infinite capacity you have a finite capacity. You have a limited capacity. You have to choose well what stays in your heart. Because your heart only has so much space. You only have so much room for passion. 
if it is already filled with shame and guilt and already filled with unproductive emotions, then even when the joy of the Lord is being experienced by everybody else, it will just spill out of you to the ground. Or it will be short-lived. And what we're... I'm believing, anyway. I hope you are. I'm believing that this summer's assignment is that you would come to know the joy that is relentless of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And joy is not tied to circumstances. But also that you would, you would come to not be afraid of the word happy. Because most of us have tied our happiness to superficial things that come and go. And we've tied our happiness to circumstances over which we have no control. Or, or we've tied our happiness to people over which we have no control. Instead of recognizing that there is a fundamental and foundational happiness that is flowing from heaven towards you and all you have to do is to tap into it by faith. But in order for that to happen, the heart has to get free. The heart has to get free. And one of the chief things you've got to get free from is guilt. Well, this passage is set at one of the most crucial times in David's life, he has, he's, he has messed up. He's basically, I could show you, he's broken every one of the commandments. I mean, think about this. He's the king. He takes advantage of his authority and has an affair with a woman who's not his wife. He takes her away from one of his mighty men who are on the battle lines right now, at that moment, are on the battle lines fighting for their king. These are the same men who saved him time and time again. And in that moment, he could care less about loyalty, just wants his lust satisfied. And he finds out she's pregnant. So now he takes other steps. And Uriah is now in the way because Uriah will not cooperate with his scheme, so he has Uriah killed. Now he has not only committed adultery, he's also committed murder. He's used his office as the king and the stewardship that the people have entrusted and that God himself has entrusted to him as the king. And he has done that which is offensive to God. And he's, he's made his own general, Joab, he's made him complicit with him. He's now a collaborator. The army is now a murderer. Has murdered this man. I mean, this is terrible in every sense of the word. And yet, Psalm 51 gives hope. It gives a picture for you and, and for me of what matters when you've done wrong and how you come back to oneness. Now, there's five words that start with R that frame this whole message. So it's, uh, hopefully it'll help you remember. But the three words I want us to start with are these three. So let's say it together. Regret, remorse, and repentance. Okay, we were, we were just kind of all over the map there, weren't we? Let's try it again, ready? Regret, remorse, and repentance. Now, here's what I'd like you to know. Only one of those works. Only one of those works. Because here, let's, let's review a little bit. Regret 
is basically to have hopeless feelings about something you cannot change. It's to have a sense of hopelessness about something that you cannot change. Regret is the language of Satan. Let me tell you why. Because he doesn't just stop with, oh, I made a mistake. Or even, he doesn't stop with, I have disobeyed. He then gives you conclusions about your mistakes and about your disobedience. This is why when you make a mistake, you hear a voice say, and you often yourself repeat it, how could I be so stupid? See, that's a conclusion about the regret. But here's the interesting thing. It's not a conclusion that helps you. It's not a conclusion that atones for anything. I mean, if you've disobeyed me or, or, or you've hurt me or you betrayed me, you telling me you're stupid doesn't atone for what you've done. Now I got to deal with the fact that I got to deal with you thinking you're stupid. I want you to understand something. The regret atones for nothing. But it puts the focus right back on you again. So nothing has really changed. When, when, peop when people say, oh, I regret doing this, all they're wanting is, is for someone to say, it's okay. It's okay. Guess what? Usually it's not okay. It wasn't okay that David killed Uriah. It was not okay that he stole his wife. It was not okay that he asked Joab to kill him. It was not okay at all. It was never okay. So David said, I'm not going to mess around with regret. Why? Because it doesn't work. Are you tracking with me in this? Okay. It's a useless emotion. All right, so take your finger. I, I want to get this across to you. Because some of you have spent way too much energy on regret. Take your finger, point at the person next to you. If they'll let you poke them. All right, and say to them, regret, regret. Is, a is a useless emotion. Stop that. <laughs> as soon as it comes out of your mouth, oh, how could I be so stupid? Go, oh, that's regret. How could I be so, how could I mess up so much? Oh, it's regret. See, once you see it, the light comes on. And you're like, yeah, that doesn't help a lot. Again, okay, the second one's remorse, which is, is feeling bad about what you've done. It's how deep a feeling of bad. Now, we as parents, we tend to, you know, we tend to pile this on our kids. Why do we do that? Well, we do it because we hope if they feel badly enough, they won't do it again. The problem is, friends, that what they did felt good. So you making them feel bad isn't really going to have a lot of effect. Because only if their minds are changed, only if the mind is changed about what you did, nothing changes. That's repentance. See, repentance isn't, oh, I feel so bad. And repentance isn't, oh boy, I wish I could change that. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind about important things. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating that every legend I've ever read from ancient times makes the leaders 
And the, the heroes all seem like perfect people. The Bible doesn't do that. We have every detail of David's failure. What is it saying? Well, it's saying that one of the focuses of the Bible is for you to understand that you are a sinner. And some of you might say, well, I don't want to come to church where they talk like that. But see, until, until you recognize that the issue is sin, you will not be able to repent. And if you're not able to repent, then God has nothing to say to you. Repentance is the beginning of the relationship. You see, I have, I, if, you, if you understand your own heart, our hearts live independently of God. And in that independence, we do some things that are right, we do some things that are wrong, but the heart itself is the issue, not the behavior. See, the behavior is a manifestation. It's a manifestation of what's actually the sin. The sin is this. I don't believe that anybody knows what's best for me but me. And God, if you agree with me, fine. If you don't, fine. I don't believe that anyone else knows what's best for me but me. And so no matter how much remorse you have, if you still believe that no one else knows what's best for you, but you, when the opportunity comes, you will sin against God, you will disobey, you will make mistakes because you are focused on what's best for me. No one loves me but me. Now, I can illustrate this from a temptation of Jesus. I've been meditating on this. Satan, in Jesus' weakened physical state, tempted Jesus first to turn stones into bread, to use his power in an illegitimate way. Why was it illegitimate? Because his father had not authorized. There's nothing wrong. I mean, if I had the power, I'd turn stones into bread. But only if the father gave the son authorization, because Jesus said, do nothing of my own initiative. So even Jesus, the Son of God, said, I will not do what's best for me. I will do what my Father says is best for me. And so he resisted. He resisted feeding a real hunger in an illegitimate way. But Satan came after him a second time. And Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew the sacrifices that were going to be demanded of him to, to accomplish his mission. And Satan says, let me show you a shortcut. He takes him to a mountaintop. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you power over all of this. In his humanity, he would become king under Satan. So what's the temptation? Power. One of the greatest fears that any of us deal with is the feeling like our life is out of control. To feel like we are powerless. We can't get people to do what we want them to do. Circumstances don't seem to line up the way we want them to line up. We begin to feel powerless. And we lose a lot. We suffer loss. It hurts. And what do you want more than anything else when it hurts? You want power. 
Well, guess who shows up? I said, I can give you power. I'll give you an extra dose of anger. And then everybody will fear you. The problem is that that anger is not from God. And it has now given the place of the enemy who, who wants to control you, but is now controlling you by deceiving you into thinking you have power. And so many of us are angry people. And we fell to a deception. So instead of learning that the issue is our heart, we keep trying to overcome. We keep trying to get more willpower. God never answers your request for more willpower. The more willpower you have, the more monstrous you become. He asks for humility. He asks for brokenness. David says here, if, if sacrifice would have delighted you, that's what I would have given you. See, sacrifice is under your control. But what does he say? A broken and a contrite heart. Ooh, now that's exposure. That's transparency. That's saying, uh-oh, God is in my operating system messing with my defaults. He's changing the way I'm wired because that's the only way you really change. Well, 2 Corinthians 7 has a contrast. It says, godly sorrow, that which actually you know, makes you feel a sorrow either over what you've done or what's been done to you. A godly sorrow leads to repentance and leaves no regret. This is what David saw. This is what David experienced. But then it says, worldly sorrow, regret, remorse, leads to death. Now, I don't think it, it only means physical death, though I think that's the ultimate thing that happens with worldly sorrow. I think what it really means is death of your heart. Because many of you in this room... Have, had, have suffered so much loss and you yourself have made so many mistakes that you've had to deaden your heart just to get by. And there are always willing conspirators with you. Alcohol can deaden your heart. Drugs can deaden your heart. Sex can deaden your heart. Enough Ben and Jerry's can deaden your heart and your tongue. But you have to ask the question, is that what I want? Do I want a dead heart? Now, the reason people have a dead heart is they get tired of feeling so much pain. Happiness is not for cowards. It takes work to be happy. It takes a commitment. It takes examination to be happy. But I think beyond everything else, it takes you waking up and saying, this doesn't work. I repent. I want to change. I want something new. I want, a, I want an upgrade. Yeah, those of you who are serious about Christ today, can I, can I, I want to tell you a, a little secret. I didn't say this in 8.30, but I see it right now. Some of you do not realize, but frustration in your life is a good thing. Now listen, why? Because frustration tells you you've hit the limitation of your existing heart. 
You've hit the limitation of your existing heart and now you're frustrated because you can see that there's more, but you can't get there. Well, guess what? That's when you need the download. That's when you need the upgrade. That's when David says, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. See, most of us, when we hit frustration, we get knocked back and we, we go back to the old ways of coping. But see, if you are a Jesus lover, then you lean into that wall and say, I might be limited, but he's not. I might have found my boundaries, but he's taken me to a spacious place. Now, don't kick yourself if you've fallen back when you get frustrated, because very few people ever tell us frustration is a good thing. It simply means you've seen the limitations of your patience. You've seen the limitations of your own strength. You've seen the limitations of your self-control. You've seen those things. Now it's time to repent of doing them in your own strength. Because regret's not going to get you anywhere. Regret's going to take you backwards. Remorse is going to just keep you there. As a matter of fact, regret and remorse are basically a kind of strong expression of self-pity because the language of remorse is oh I can't believe I messed up so bad what are people gonna think am I gonna lose my job am I gonna lose my relationship who is the subject of every one of those sentences it's me I see Remorse and regret are basically just more self-focus that leads to more self-protection and that leads to greater selfishness. And it cannot and it will not lead to the happiness that you long for and that you were made for. Well, let me just, I want you to understand the nature of sin for a minute. I, I hit on this last time, but I want to hit on it one more time. Before a sin is a breaking of the law. The breaking of the law is a manifestation of the sin behind the sin. See, when you choose to sin, you are basically stabbing God in the heart. You are saying, you don't care for me like I care for me. Now, why am I pounding on that? Because, friends, I don't think you want to say that. I think you, you hear it the way I hear it. That sounds stupid to me. No one has ever cared for me like Jesus. And no one has ever messed up my life more than me. See, I'm not, I'm not willing to be me-focused anymore. It just doesn't work. It's never, it's never made me happy. It's made me controlling. It's made me fearful. It's made me angry. It's made me use people to get my needs met. And it's never, ever satisfied. But here's the thing that I found so sweet. Is that when you begin to repent, you hate the sin, but you no longer hate yourself. Because, see, when you're remorseful and regretful and all of this, everything is interior-focused. But when you begin to repent, you begin to see there's something outside of you. And it's the thing that David understood. He messed up more than any of us hopefully ever will. 
And yet he looked out and he depended on the mercy of God. He said, because your steadfast love endures forever. See, once you stop being remorseful and regretful and you lift up your eyes, you go, God loves me. God loves me. And if any of you ever say, my sin is so great, God couldn't possibly forgive me. You haven't met God. You see, you're still being religious. Here's the beauty of what the scripture says here is if David, a godly man, a man after God's own heart, had the capacity to commit adultery, murder, and make his army uh, colleagues in it, then all of us have a capacity. <laughs> I've been doing this for like 35 years now, and I've so many people have come to the altar over the years. I myself have come to the altar, and they come up and they and, and will say, "Oh God, give me another chance." Oh God, I will do better. Oh God, I will do better. See, that's really misunderstanding the nature of sin and the nature of forgiveness. There are some of you that if you were honest, and I hope I'm getting through to you today, you're honest, you're like, David shouldn't be happy another day in his life. He should, he, should, he should be regretting that and remorseful for that every single day. He should never laugh. And when he laughs, he should stop himself and remember that, that Uriah is dead. Because that's what religious people do. Because you've got to earn love. And you've got to earn joy. And you've got to earn everything. And guess what? When you're earning, you're, you're actually putting yourself out of grace. You're putting yourself out of mercy. Why is David there in the Bible? Why wasn't he edited out? Because he is us. Because it's his mercy. And mercy isn't something that comes because you deserve it. It comes because you don't deserve it. Grace isn't something that's given to you because you earn it. If you earned it, it would be law. It'd be a salary that was due to you. I, again, I remind you, I've said this before, but very few of us hold up our paychecks and go, Behold, what manner of paycheck? <laughs> Most of us look at it and go, Just that? <laughs> what was that tax? <laughs> but when you get a hold of grace, and you think about who you are and what you've done, and you get a hold of grace, you go, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us. You see, I throw off religious clothes. I throw off any sense of earning or anything else. If David says the mercy of God was for him, it's for me. If David said the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever and I can, I can bathe in that river, then it's for me. But in order to do that, I have to start looking out. And when I look out, I realize that what David did is he didn't say, give me a second chance. He said, give me a new heart. See, the issue is that there's a corruptness in the heart. So the R's are regret, remorse, repentance. Only repentance works. David says, I'm not going to ask for a reprieve, a second chance, but I'm asking for regeneration. In other words, 
You see, I can try to will myself to not lust. Try to will myself to not worry. I can try to will myself to never lie again. The problem is that even as I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie, I am now consumed by not lying. Which means pretty much I'm going to lie. Or pretty much I'm lying all the time anyway that I'm not going to lie. Or if you've ever, if any of you ever said, I'm not going to lust, I'm not going to lust, I'm not going to lust. Every lustful thought just comes and comes and comes. And you're sitting there going, oh, I'm losing, I'm losing. Or those of you who worry. You know, you say, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. And then something comes up that's bigger than you are. Something outside of your control. Something having to do with your family or your or someone you love, or your job, or whatever it is, and suddenly go, I can't help it, I have to worry. See, the issue is the heart. See, before you choose to worry, you're saying, God, you don't care for me enough, I have to care for me. Before you lie, you're saying, God, you don't know what it's like to live my life, I have to lie, or I will get in trouble. God, you don't know what it is to be a human being in the 21st century with all the temptations sexually that there are. I can't help myself. See, it's fascinating to me how many people have screwed up, messed up, and will come in my ministry, have come before me or before the church and say, I just want all of you to know I have a good heart. At that point, I think of words that my mother would want to wash out with soap. And those of you who know it are laughing right now. See, there is, there, there, there is never going to be a change in you if you're just trying to change your behavior. Because you're trying to change your behavior both because you're afraid of what others will think of you and you because you want to present an image of yourself that's not true. It is only when you get as honest and transparent as David that you will begin to have a new heart. And it's only as you ask. He said, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Here's what I want to close with. David had no idea how much it would cost to answer that prayer. But Jesus did. In John chapter 3, Jesus looks at the religious leader, Nicodemus, who says, What must I do you know, to, to, to follow after you, to be the person that I need to be? And Jesus looked at this religious ruler and he said to him, Everything you've been doing is a waste. Every investment you've made is a wrong investment. He said, You must be born again. Nicodemus said, You must be nuts. Now, it's right there in the Greek, if you want to look at it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, how can a man go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, unless you are born of the Spirit of God, you have no place in the kingdom of God. Do not ever think that somehow you can rehabilitate your heart or that somehow you can reform your heart. You cannot reform the corruption of that operating system that you were given. You were given it at birth, David said. And even from birth, you were predispositioned towards sin. And if God, being a God of truth, being the spirit of truth, he knows it already, why do you hide it from him? 
You can never feel bad enough for God. That will never work. You can only begin to say, give me that heart that I'm missing. Renew the spirit in me that, that is numb or dead or that, that doesn't seem to connect with my soul. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, if you're filled with guilt, you'll never have joy in your salvation. If you're filled with regret and remorse, you'll never have joy. But when you take on the sweetness of repentance and you begin to say, I, He's given me a new heart, you'll have joy. You'll have joy. Now, here's where my joy comes from. It's both the depth of my understanding of the gospel and it, and it is my joy in the gospel. But it is this. David said this to God in his prayer. He said, turn your face from my sin. But do not turn your face from me. Have you ever been really mad at somebody? They really hurt you. They really betrayed you. And when you looked at them, you saw their betrayal. You saw their lies. You saw how they cheated on you. You saw it. And when you saw them, you couldn't look them in the eye without getting all the red coming out. It's because you can't face somebody when they're in their sin. So what did God do? Well... He answered David's prayer. He put all of your sin on Jesus and he turned his face from his own son so that all the wrath of God and all the curse of your sin and all the punishment was exhausted in Jesus. But he did that so he could turn his face towards you. He does not see you in your sin. He sees you in Christ. He will never. Oh, I can, I can tell you. The number of times I've turned my face away from people who've hurt me and I've, I've had people turn their face from me because I hurt them. And it is one of the most painful things that I've ever seen. And it, it, in some ways, many of us even use it for manipulation. I'm not going to give you any affection until you write, you know, write the ship or you start acting right. Here's this deal. God is not some petty God going, ha ha, I got you where I want you. He's a God who exhausted all of that on Jesus. He turned his face from your sins so he can turn his face to you. This is the joy of my salvation. It's not my past successes or failures. It's the joy of knowing that my father will never turn his face from me. There's oneness. There's intimacy. And anything that's severed that in your life, today's the day to let it go. I, we have prayer people who are here today, but for some reason today, and I'm running a little bit late, so you're going to have to run up here. But if this has made sense, and you're just saying, I want to repent, there's, there's some corruption in my heart. I want cleansing today. I want to I look in the face of my Father and never turn away again. And it's something he wants truth in the inner being. He doesn't, he doesn't want to love your imposter. He wants to love you. Would you come and join me up here? And I'd like to pray over you this morning. If it just makes sense to you and you're saying, there are things I want to let go today. I want to leave at the altar today. It's not that I want a second chance. I want a clean heart. I want a renewed spirit. I want to, I want to take hold of the joy of my salvation. 
I invite you just to say this with me. And it's a simple thing, but it's so precious. Just say, Lord, I repent. Just let that come again. Come on. Lord, I repent. I do not know what's best for me. But this day, I put a stake in the ground. My life, my heart, trust you. See, that's the repentance that the Lord loves, is when you make a deep-rooted commitment that He's trustworthy. If He asks you not to do something, it's because He has your best interest. If He asks you to do something, it's because He has your best interest. You will be, friends, truly happy and have a greater capacity because you trust Him. Can we say this together? Create in me a clean heart. You know what I see? I, I see him severing the connection to your old heart. Con- severing the connection. I saw this in first, so I'll see it again. Some of you have had some obsessive or addictive type things in your life. The Lord is cutting the physical dependence right now. He's rewiring the way your brain works. Would you receive that? Receive it. He's, he's going into the, the very depths of, your, of the way you operate and He's restoring His love there, His peace, His joy. Wow. Would you receive that and say, I believe? I receive this mercy, this grace. you leave with Jesus the need to protect yourself the need to pity yourself would you take repentance I I sense the spirit of repentance upon us and if this is your first time at this 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 is Jesus inviting you to be born again would you receive that new birth You're not just a philosophical, moral, political, or a religious person. In Christ, you become a new creation. Receive that new birth. Receive it here with us. Would you, all of us can say it together, even if you know you've been born again, but just to help those, would you say this way? I receive receive a new birth, a birth. a, a birth from on high. A birth from the Spirit of God. God. My life, my soul, my my spirit spirit is being regenerated regenerated with the love of Christ Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I am a child of God. I seal this, Lord, this day, the joy of our salvation. I I speak into every belly here. Joy, bubbling up, flowing, overflowing, laughter, giddiness, loss even of control where some of you have been control freaks, that you will have a joy unspeakable. 
for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Would you share love with one another? And God bless you and have a great week together.